brand new series we're going to start today. It's called Struggling to Follow. <sighs> Following Jesus on the cross. I mean, in Easter, <sighs> we see the most amazing sacrificial act known to mankind. And then Monday rolls around and we, we, we struggle, right? How do, how do we match that? How do we be Christ-like? I mean, because he was so Christ-like. Um, how, how, do, how do we do that? That's just such an incredibly a tall order. Now, in past years, I've always enjoyed on Easter Sunday doing a, a real powerful apologetics message. Apologetics, proofs of the resurrection, right? And I, and I, and I loved it, and, and I dreamed, honestly, I dreamed of, of presenting a message and preaching a message so viscerally real, so in your face with what Jesus Christ went through on Good Friday, and, and, and that, that at the, the end of the, the service, um, there would be throngs and throngs of people rushing down to the altar, just like this. This is at, I don't know if you guys recognize this, this is Lakewood Church, uh, Joel Osteen's. So I'll just kind of throw this out right now. If I get boring, you hop over to his service, and I think he's got Kanye, he's got Mariah Carey, but we had the Jacksons, all right, so psh, on him. Anyway, um, now if that had ever happened to me, it, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't, uh, and uh, nothing like that anyway, um, I, I think I'd still be struggling with this approach, at least this approach um, by itself. Uh, an incredible, incredible service, and I'm sure there are going to be thousands of people that come to Christ, but I in the back of my mind, as a pastor of a, of a local church, I take a high view of the church, and I, and I wonder what happens to their faith weeks and months on down the road. I mean, uh, or, or maybe even Monday morning, Sunday evening, Sunday afternoon, you felt so amazing. You, you felt the Spirit of God. You, you, were, you could conquer. You could move mountains, right? And, and then Monday morning arrives, or better yet, 3 o'clock Monday afternoon when that coworker, right, that you struggled to even like, and you know Christ is calling you to love them like they've just stepped on your last nerve and you're thinking, but I accepted Christ as my Savior and all these, all my problems should have gone away. And, and, I, and I wonder about people who accept Christ and, and then they just kind of leave the church. And I wonder, were there struggles in their newfound faith? I remember, I, I, this, this bothers me just a little bit, the Samaritan woman at the well. You wonder, Christ comes, talks with her. He, he points out that she's, she's struggling in her love life, right? She's, she's been with five different guys. And um, it seemed to me that, that she had an amazing encounter with the, with the Son of God. But then I wonder what Monday looked like for her. Did she go back to her old life? Did she, did she struggle? Were there questions? And, and my guess is being in Samaria, there weren't a whole lot of folks there that, that were according to the Jewish people, practicing proper Jewish religion. Um, so I don't know if she was instructed, but I tend to assume that she probably struggled quite a bit with what Christ told her. Or the rich young ruler, we, we remember him. He comes up to Christ and he says, hey, good, good teacher, what do I got to do to participate in this, this age to come that you're talking about, this abundant life that you're talking about? And Jesus tells him, well, for you, you're going to have to sell your all your belongings because the unspoken there was because you trust your money above God. And the rich young ruler went away sad. And we think, 
how did he process that on Monday? What, what, what was he thinking Monday, Tuesday? And, and actually, there's a story, there's, there's a, a, a tradition, Jewish tradition, that that rich young ruler actually comes back, even though he told Jesus at that time, no, I, I can't do that, you know, when he goes away sad. There is, there is, again, this tradition that he comes back and sells everything, and he becomes one of the first bishops of uh, the church in Jerusalem. So, so again, a, a crowd like this, what, what does their Monday morning look like? My guess is there are going to be a lot of questions. And the problem is if those questions aren't addressed, um, over time they become barriers to, to spiritual growth. They, they become barriers to us becoming mature believers, right? Um, a, a mature believer that when something like COVID-19 hits, we bend but we don't break, right? Because we've addressed some of these tougher questions and we've dug deep and we've come up with answers that, that make sense in our world, I think when we address these barriers to spiritual growth, which is the intent of my whole message series, that we do grow in maturity and understanding. And it turns this into something like this. Hit that next slide there. Right? Somebody accepts Christ, and, and then they become a, a hero. Or, or, or maybe, maybe it turns this or, or, or into this. Hit that next one there. Right? Uh, those aren't just medical personnel. Right down there in the lower left, I think you see a custodian. We've got our own Kathy Rose. She does, she's better looking than him, though. Um, but then this, this, this too. This is a picture I grabbed. This, this apparently is a church service, right? This, this is amazing, a church service. And, and, and I feel like for, for America, for certain, but I know in other parts of the world, this has been the way it's been for two millennia. But, but in America, we've kind of had a coming out party, right, for the church without a church. Um, churches are being amazing all over the place, and it has been so fun to watch. I want to, I want to read you a letter right here. Um, again, this, this, is, this is from somebody in our own congregation. Um, this is somebody who's experiencing the love of the church even at a time when she hasn't stepped foot inside this church, right? This is Phyllis, um, her husband, John. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. Last week, we prayed for her. Uh, John is positive with, with COVID-19. Um, Phyllis has not tested for it, but, but they have her under quarantine. And, and she's, just, she's just telling me in this letter that when they got there that, that John didn't have a good bed. It was a, it was a lousy bed. And they, they called Furniture Row, and, and the guy had a bed, a perfect bed for them. Um, but they weren't allowed to come in because of coronavirus. They couldn't get the bed, and none of them would bring it. So all this stuff happens, and, and, and lo and behold, you know, their son comes to the rescue, gets the bed, brings it in. John hasn't been able to sleep at all. And he, he, they, they set the bed up, and he says, hey, I'm going to watch uh, one more episode of, I think, Gunsmoke. <laughs> I love that. Um, and boom, he falls asleep, and he sleeps all the way through the night. I mean, it's just, it's amazing how uh, people are just kind of coming to people's aid, in their, and, and the Spirit of God is still doing amazing things, even though, what, nobody's here in the church building. God is still alive. God is still risen. He is still doing amazing, amazing things. So, Phyllis, blessings on you. Um, and again, unless we can address the barriers that so quickly choke newfound belief, so quickly choke uh, rediscovered faith, right? If we can't address these questions, then we're never going to turn this. Hit that next slide there. I know a lot of you have been feeling like it's been Good Friday for about two months, right? Incredible separation, incredible loneliness, um, Unless we can provide coherent answers to the tough questions in life and maybe even provide, 
maybe even challenge some of the answers that we've been given or have been handed down to us, we're never going to turn that into this. And that's the goal of this whole series this morning is that we, with the power of Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit, that we can turn Good Fridays into Easter mornings on a regular basis, on a day-to-day basis. And so, again, that is the, the focus of this whole series, Struggling to Follow, brand new series. Starting today, you're on the ground floor, so congratulations, you have not missed anything. So how do we turn the joy of a newfound faith, or the joy of an Easter morning, right, into the kind of a daily joy that surpasses all understanding? Well, given the current health crisis... So many people literally living in the valley of the shadow of death. I thought the words of the Apostle Paul uh, would ring most true this morning. Watch this. This is in a letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth that he had started. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says this. I look death in the face practically every day I live. Some of you have your Bibles at home. You're following along. This is the message version, in case you're wondering. I don't normally use it. I like to bring it out just to clarify some things occasionally. I look death in the face practically every day I live. I think there's a lot of people in our world right now that would identify with Paul, right? Paul's become their new identifier, our new doppelganger. I mean, Paul looking death in the face practically every day. Right? He's living our current life on a daily basis for years on end. Listen to this. I continue. I look death in the face practically every day I live. Do you think I'd do this if I wasn't convinced of your resurrection and mine as guaranteed by the resurrected Messiah, Jesus? What he's saying there is the same power that delivered Jesus from the grave will also deliver you and I from the grave. I'll continue reading verse 32. It says, do you think I was trying to act heroic when I fought the wild beast at Ephesus, hoping that it wouldn't be the end of me? Not on your life. And here's Paul's motivational secret. Now, watch, watch this. this. This is amazing. This is what gets Paul through every day, right? All day. Even when his co-workers step on his last nerve. And I've always got the feeling that Paul is easy to step on his nerves. I don't know. He's, he seemed very excitable, really excitable guy, right? So here, here, here's his clue. Here's, here, here's his magic bullet. It's resurrection, resurrection, always the resurrection that undergirds what I do, it undergirds what I say, it undergirds the way I live. If there's no resurrection, we eat, we drink, and the next day we die, and that's all there is to it. In other words, Paul is asking that same questions that Christians have had to face head on For over two millennia now, here's the big question that we all have to deal with. Why should a Christian accept the perils of the Christian life if it's all going to go for nothing? To what end is all the peril and the suffering if there's no life beyond this life? And again, Christians have been struggling with this and have had to struggle with it since Christ was resurrected from the dead. Because if we're not resurrected, and if this life is all there is to it, and personally, I, I agree, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and there's no later. In fact, Jesus told a parable about just such an attitude, the same attitude reflected by those who believe that this is all there is to it. This is Luke chapter 12. I'm going to go through this very quickly. He says this, this is a, a, a rich fool. This is not the rich young ruler. He's a rich fool. Um, he apparently had a really good, good harvest, right? Here's what he says. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. 
And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Can you all say hoarder? Right? This is a free message. Stop hoarding. Right? We all need toilet paper. Bad. All right, let me continue. It says, take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And in verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So what we have here is we have a picture of somebody who might believe in God, right? They might even believe that Jesus is the Messiah, um, but clearly they're struggling to live like it's true. They're living a life separate from what they believe to be true. So how do we actually live a life like it's true? How do we live the resurrection life if it's true every day, all day long? How, how, do, how do we do that? How do we, how do we live like Christ lived? And there are several possible answers to this question, and, and, and the, the answers all depend on your view of the events of Holy Week. Because there were a lot of pretty crazy things that happened in Holy Week. A lot of things that a lot of people in science, a lot of people will look at it and they'll say, mm, I don't know about that. Some people will see the events of Holy Week and they'll just say, well, that's hogwash. I don't buy it. That's a pipe dream. That's a, a myth. You know, child's tale. Had a good friend. Spent the night at his house, went, went to Southern California for some event and didn't want to pay for a hotel, so I stayed at his house. And a good friend that we had all known from, from high school came over, and, and this good friend of both of ours, um, she knew I was a minister, and, and strangest thing, she, she began to attack me because of my faith. Um, and, and it's not like she didn't have a faith, she, she just had just placed her faith in, in science and, and not in a, a risen um, Savior, right? Um, some people will respond like this young lady did to me, you will look at everything that we talk about in church and you will just think that's just childish. I want to tell you right now, if you are looking at the events of Holy Week and you're thinking hogwash, I just want to, I want to encourage you, right? Follow, follow the rest of this series out. Um, you're going to get some information that's going to be helpful to your life, whether you believe in the risen Messiah or not. Right? So, so kind of hang out with us, and you just might learn some, some new things, some practical steps to get your life back in balance, and maybe, maybe um, some steps to bring your life back from the brink of disaster. I, that's where you're at right now. A second response besides hogwash is I need more information. And if that's you, then you're at the right place right now. You've gone to the place where we provide a lot of answers. That's what churches do. We provide answers to people's deepest questions. And we get those answers, we get that information from God's Word. Right, so again, as millions have found, uh, church is the place that you need to be as we read from God's Word, and we get clarity, right? Clarity replaces confusion. Third response, I now believe. Right, you followed the events of Holy Week, you, you watched what happened on Good Friday, and on Sunday morning you got down on your knees and you said, this is for me. I believe, I believe, right? And a final response, the final response is, I believe it's true, I just struggle living like it's true. And I think that's where a lot of people are today. That I believe it's true, but I just struggle living like it's true. There is a fifth response, I believe it's true, and I have no problems living like it's true, but don't raise your hand at your house right now because people will not like you. Um, everyone who struggles uh, will not like you. So let's talk about this fourth group. I believe it's true, I just struggle living like it's true. A pastor tells a story of meeting somebody on a plane. 
And I know I've been through this many times as a pastor. You meet somebody, oh, you're a pastor. Bam, confession booth. It's the weirdest thing. Uh, they, they just unload and they tell me the craziest stuff. And, I'm, and I, 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 every time this happens, I'm looking around going, you know we're not in a confessional booth. Right? I, I mean, everybody's listening to you. Tell me what you did last night. And, and I don't think they want to hear it. Um, but Greg, the, the, this pastor, he had the this, this same conversation with somebody. Um, and and here's, here's after the, the confession that this poor girl gave this pastor. Here's what she said. She says, I know my life doesn't look like a Christian's life should look, but I do believe in God. And maybe this is you. And if this young lady were honest with herself, and if, if we're honest with ourselves, there's something going on behind the curtain here, right? As struggling believers, we all kind of fall on a scale, kind of a continuum. On one end, it's the group of people who say, I love Jesus, but I love the world too. <laughs> you, just, you just kind of pointed out part of the problem, right? It's tough to love Jesus and love the world too. Again, if we're all honest, many of our greatest regrets probably came from loving the world too much. So that's a big part of the problem. I, I think everybody would agree to that, right? But you never experience the abundant life that Jesus promises. My prayer is that this message series would change the way you see Jesus, and maybe, maybe you'll decide that it's time to give Jesus a fair shake, right? And that the other end of the spectrum is I love Jesus, but I, I, I struggle to follow, so at one end we have, I love the world too. I love Jesus, but I love the world too. And over there at the other end of the spectrum is I love Jesus, but I, I just struggle. I just struggle. I don't love the world too much. I don't, that's not the issue. I just, I struggle following his commands. Well, this series is going to help us. This whole series is going to help us honestly face and courageously deal with those issues that keep us from experiencing the abundant life. Here's some of the issues that we're going to look at in this series. A lot of people, they, they, they can't place their trust in God because they're so ashamed of their past. They think God can't. There's no way in the world I am so messed up that, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe God will understand it, but the church people, no way in the world they're going to understand what I've done. Maybe it's not what you've done. Maybe it's what somebody did to you, and you have trouble forgiving or ever trusting or even loving Again, and, and that's a barrier because you believe that God can't forgive or hasn't forgiven what somebody did to you or that he stood by and watched and didn't do anything. Maybe, maybe your barrier is you're just not sure that God loves you. How, how could God love me? And maybe it's just that you don't want to change because change is hard. Change is uncomfortable. Change is scary. But here's the fact. All the information I'm going to give you out of this series, and, I, and, and the whole point, again, is we're going to try to remove some barriers that have stopped you from really, really leaning into Christ. But all this information is going to be of limited value. Worse, it's going to frustrate you if you're not ready to make a really big decision. And this morning might be that time for you to make that decision. See, there's a reason a lot of folks struggle, and the, probably the biggest reason that we struggle is we accept Christ as our Savior, but we never allow him to take over and direct our lives. We never allow him to become our Lord and Savior. He's our Savior, but he's never our Lord and King. That's the way I want to say that. We accept him as our Savior, but we never allow him to become our Lord and King. We never obey any of his commandments that were meant to give us joy, and we just kind of keep it all at, at, at arm's length. We say to Jesus, hey, you know, you can be in my front room, but don't go back down these back hallways. That, that's my area. 
You can be in charge of my front room and the way I appear to other people, but the back rooms, those are mine. Stay out of them. But here's what God wants to do this morning. This is 1 Thessalonians. Again, this is Paul writing a letter to a church that he started at Thessalonica. He says this in verse 23, chapter 5. It says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. Now, that's a weird word. It's a very churchy word. What we're really looking at here is, May God himself, the God of peace, make you Christ-like. Like, wow, I didn't know he could do that. Yeah, that's what he does. When we cooperate with him, and when we seek and lean into the power of his Holy Spirit, he sanctifies us. He makes us like his son. That's amazing. That, that's amazing. But he doesn't just want you kind of sanctified, right? He doesn't want you just looking at him as a savior. If we look at him and, as our Lord and King, right, he's going he's gonna to sanctify us entirely, completely. Watch this. It says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. He wants to make your heart bend back toward him after all these years of being bent toward your own selfish desires, and he can do that. It's an incredible gift that he has waiting for you. Saved but only partially sanctified. That, that's, that's a barrier for a lot of people. And it sounds horrible, and it really is, but it explains the relational hurts that have never healed in your life. It explains the fact that you can't forgive that certain somebody. There's a reason you can't forgive them. You've only given your life partially to Jesus. You're just looking at him, um, keep me out of hell, Jesus. Make sure I get my ticket punched and go to heaven. Um, but other than that, kind of leave me alone. Maybe it's why you want to be generous, but you always hold back at the last second. Because he's really not your Lord and King. You just want him to keep you out of trouble. Ultimate trouble. When you let Jesus into every room of your existence, watch things start to happen. Because they will. Paul continues. This is in verse 33, 23, excuse me. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what God wants for you. He doesn't want you parsing. He doesn't want you struggling. That wasn't the goal. He wants to give you victory in your life, but you've got to commit 100% to him. And when you do, he's going to commit 100% to you and watch things start to happen finally. Relationships are going to be healed. You're going to be able to forgive that person. You're going to be able to be generous like you always wanted to, but you always held back. I'd like to bow your heads. I want to pray for you this morning. We're going to, we're going to celebrate communion in just a moment. Dan's going to come up and play a beautiful song as we prepare our hearts. And, 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 and all of you, I know we've been sending out the emails, and, and hopefully you've got the elements ready um, at home. Um, let me pray with you. Father, there are a lot of people listening right now and many of them father have have only partially committed to you They're kind of committed to you hoping to get the good stuff and not have to do anything extra but father your word says that when we lean into you 100 percent 
All the extra is beautiful. All the other, all the extra is, is, are the things that we actually want. So, so Father, if anybody is listening, if you're ready to make that big decision, this is all you need to do. Say, I'm sorry. Father in heaven, I'm sorry. I've been going against your will. I knew it. I just thought I could find more joy on my own, and I'm wrong. And I now realize that, and I want to repent. I want to turn around and go in the opposite direction. I'm tired of walking away from you, Father. I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to start walking towards you now. And your word says at this point that you run toward me. You don't wait. You run toward me. So, Father, for every person praying to you right now, for them, they're asking you to start leading their lives, Lord. Run to them. Just embrace them. Father, thank you so much that we can come to you like this and that you can send your son. And even then you send the comforter, the Holy Spirit, to guide us into all truth, to give us victory in our lives. Father, for every person who accepts Christ this morning, I would just, I would just add, maybe, maybe you've accepted Christ, but you've never really totally committed yourself. Let's do that right now. Simple prayer again. Father, I've accepted you as my, my, my Savior, um, but I've never allowed you into the back rooms. There are certain parts of my life I don't want you to touch. Well, well I'm, I'm, I've changed my mind. I need you to touch all, everywhere. I need you to be everywhere in my life right now because it, those back rooms are a mess. And your word says that if I turn them over to you, you clean them and they become shining light instead of darkness. Father, thank you for Easter. Thank you for your son. By his stripes, we're healed. And by his blood, we're made at one with you, Father. You adopt us into your family. Father, thank you. Thank you for Easter morning. Thank you for Good Friday, and then thank you for Easter morning. And thank you for Monday morning when your spirit is going to empower and going to reveal truths to people and going to encourage them to, to seek you and to challenge maybe some of the answers they've been given and, and seek out your truth. Father, in your son's name I pray. Amen.